Good morning and welcome to the Relate podcast where mother and daughter relate on a variety of topics today. It's me, Jess Hausberger, without mom. And today I'm going to be interviewing, (coughs) excuse me, Tim Snyder from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is exciting because Tim is our first male guest on the show. Tim, how are you doing this morning? Doing well yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just enjoying a second cup of coffee, which is unusual for me. But (laughs) what about you? Have you had your coffee yet? I've had my coffee and I'll probably get one after um after we're done here today and <laughs> get on doing some housework and everything or whatever I need to do. A little a little surge of caffeine helps to get that housework done, I've found. Yes, it does. So Tim, yes, it does. you are a former sergeant uh, in the United States Marine Corps. You served for four years in the early 2000s and now currently you are a business banking consultant for a big firm in Pittsburgh, correct? Okay. Correct. Yes, that's and correct. And for our audience, yep. you are also my, formally, you are my cousin-in-law. You are married to one of yeah. my cousins. <laughs> yes. But just for the okay. record, I've I... never referred to you as my cousin-in-law. Have you ever referred to me that way? No. <laughs> I've always said, I've always said, uh, you know, Christine's cousin, Jess, so. But cu- cousin-in-law works, or we can just, you know, take out the in-law part of it, and, you know, we're all family. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess just a little bit of a background for our audience. So, you've been married to my cousin for, you know, about a decade, right? You guys got married in what year? 2008, so it was about a month before um, you and Todd. Right, okay, so we've kind of been going yep. down that same journey then, Um and, yeah. you know, you and I, we, I guess, kind of, we started bonding about a year ago when you sent me some jarred pickles and some jams. And I was like, this guy's awesome. You wrapped them up so beautifully and sent them here to the house. And yep. <laughs> I was like, these are so delicious. That is, uh, <laughs> gardening has been a, uh, a comforting hobby of mine. It's something that growing up as a, as a child, uh, living next door to my grandpa, that's, that was my summer. We would get up. My parents went to work. My brothers and I, we would go over to my grandpaps. We'd be working in his garden, cutting his grass, you know, cutting firewood, getting uh, truckloads of coal for his coal bin, um, changing oil and brakes on the vehicles with them. So that was that's all I did. And uh, what I love most about it is because on those really hot, humid summer days, we could be in my grandpaps fruit cellar making jam, canning pickles, making spaghetti sauce. Um, we had just recently... Um, with my my mom and my aunts just uh i think about 50 pounds of cabbage we shredded to make homemade sauerkraut so that'll be coming along here here pretty soon in the next couple weeks after it it has to ferment for like about six weeks and then we can start canning that and um, it's just so much better than the store (laughs) oh yeah i love that and now with how hot fermented foods are and how they're supposed to be so good for like your gut microbiome and stuff you could market that sauerkraut and probably sell it for 12 dollars a jar Probably could. <laughs> well, so I love I, hearing about your upbringing in Pittsburgh because I really don't know very much about it. Can you tell me, did you grow up outside of Pittsburgh? Yeah, I grew up an hour north of Pittsburgh in uh, Fort City, Catanning area. Um, long before I was even born, the majority of the area was all farming. Most of it still is. If you happen to drive through like places like Worthington, uh, Elderton or like through Dayton, you're getting into very rural Armstrong County and there's still a lot of very um, big operational farms out there. Um, 
I know my grandfather, he, he was a dairy farmer growing up. Um, him and I think he had 12, 10 or 12 siblings. Uh, he was the oldest uh, male child in the family. And, um, you know, he grew up in the time, he was born in 1913. So the Great Depression, World War One, that whole time frame, uh, there was times I know where their farm went through so much financial struggles, you know, they've nearly lost their farm. So, um, but, you know, they worked hard and they, and they did what they did to survive. And, um, it, you know, I kind of wish sometimes we could go back to that lifestyle, not not the financial struggling lifestyle, but certainly to me when I, when I you know, or read about that, that history and, you know, remember the conversations out of my grandfather, um, it seems like it's just so much more simpler and less stress. You know, you could just get up, do your work. You weren't worrying about, you know, how many emails you had to check you know, how many text messages you had to get back to, you know, it seems like the, the consummation of all this technology today just filters our minds and, and we forget to just live simply and enjoy what we have with us. Um, you know, like I stated earlier, you know, you know, growing up, it was just, you know, we were, we spent all of our time outside. I can't remember ever really being stuck in the house other than if it was like, you know, a blizzard or raining, you know, and, you didn't really have to do much outside, but um, even in snowstorms, I remember blizzard of 93 came through and it dropped about three feet of snow in about two days. My brothers and I putting the uh, plow, my grandpa's tractor, putting the chains on the, on his tires and we're going around plowing everybody's driveways out all day long. Like, and, and we just had fun doing it. We didn't care how much snow there was, you know, we, 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 it was a big game to us, you know, we were like boys playing with our big toys and everything, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so is that when you feel most in your element when you're outside? I, I do actually. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing and um, even now, like when I go hunting, I'm not really, I really don't care if I go, you know, if I go deer hunting, if I get anything, I go out just to relax. It, it's the complete detox of, you know, all the things that can clutter your life up. Um, every winter we try to go up to one of our state parks north of here, about two hours, Cooks Forest. We, we, we'll rent a, one of the old style log cabins, big stone fireplace. There's no internet connection, no TV connection. Although we'll take movies and games with the kids, but it's just so quiet. And, and I really think it's, it's a really good healing for everybody to, to just experience, you know, some quiet nature, you know, just, you know, completely detox your, your body of all the, all the everyday life stuff that can just cause, you know, the different stresses and anxieties. And um, it, I'm very, I very much enjoy being outside. Um, I, if I could, you know, work outside, you know, all day long and that, that would be great. You know, I, I feel the same way that just really resonates with me. Like the only way I really, the number one way that I feel really rejuvenated is just to get by myself in the woods, do a little bit of trail walking and just be alone in nature is just so rejuvenating. And I feel like, this day and age, that's just a little bit harder to do. Just kind of like you said, we're just surrounded by technology and to-do lists and all these little things that kind of, at the end of the day, kind of add up to maybe not being as fulfilling as just some of those basic things you were talking about, like just getting outside and getting into elements and just enjoying right. those things that are timeless. So yesterday I posted a song on Facebook by Glenn Miller. Moonlight Serenade. Yes. Moonlight <laughs> and <of> course, Serenade, yes. <laughs> and of course, no one liked it. It's just because, you know, it's just a weird Facebook post. But you you liked it. You you were like, oh, I like Glenn I Miller, I immediately too. clicked on it. 
Yes, I immediately clicked on it because um, Glenn Miller was one of the groups that we used to listen to growing up when, you know, the 33 record records were still famous and the 45s. My dad had a bunch of those. And, you know, pre-cable era, I mean, up until I was in sixth or seventh grade, I think we still only had the four basic channels, you know cartoons were still only on a Saturday morning for us still, you know, cause we didn't have cable. Right. So a lot of times on a Saturday evening, we would just get out the records and we just listen to Glenn Miller. Um, my dad was a big Statler brothers fan, which, you know, I just have grown to enjoy their music as well. But, but yeah, when I saw you post moonlight serenade, I immediately, you know, clicked on, I listened to the whole thing. And then um, we kind of Facebook discussed a little bit. And then I think I ended our discussion with Pennsylvania six, five thousand and, <laughs> Which I listened to yesterday. How many people would get that? But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. for me, it's very transportive. Kind of like for you, I remember being a little girl, six or seven years old, sitting in my pap's living room, and Glenn Miller coming on the TV, and my pap just saying, "Me now, that's good music. That's good music." And yes. that just stayed with me. And you know, whenever I want to feel like a little girl again, sit next to my pap, you know, I turn that song on and I just feel so close to him now. But what, what I think is funny is that you and I are, are, you know, very different people on some level, but one of the things that I sense that we have in common is this appreciation for just timeless beauty and values. Like, I really feel like we, we kind of both have that, that appreciation for timeless things. What do you think are like, if you were to sum up like the most important values, like the things that you want to pass on to your three sons, for example, how would you, how would you summarize that? Yeah. So um, something that my parents did really well for us growing up was um, every, mostly every Saturday when we were kids um, growing up in the Catholic church, we went to mass on Saturdays and we lived next door to my grandpa, my grandma. And typically Saturday evenings in my house consisted of, going to church, either going to my grandparents or them coming over to us watching uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and the <laughs> Lawrence Welk Show. <laughs> what a combination. I mean, exactly. And then, you know, my grandpa loved playing cards. We'd play cards. Um, Sundays, my my dad grew up in uh, rural Armstrong County, a um, place called Snyderville, hence the name Snyder, because all the Snyders actually grew up there, his whole family owned like all the farms out there and um every sunday we used to visit you know my other grandparents uh we usually typically would cook out there and then sunday evenings we'd come back and all of my cousins got together at my grandpa's house back in katanning and we had this big you know cookout on the grill every sunday during the spring and summer and um so family is the number one thing that i really try to instill in my kids as a value um and that has already begun i you know, would always go over to, um, you know, so Christine's grandparents, um, Margie and Jerry, so Kathy's parents, um, whenever they lived in their house, I'd always cut their grass and, and I would also, um, make sure that their driveway and sidewalks were salted and, and free of snow in the, in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And yeah. my oldest is now taken on to that responsibility himself. We just had a small snow drop here on Tuesday and filling up from a knee surgery he's out there with my, my salt spreader getting our driveway taken care of. And then he went over to my neighbor's house, um, you know, cause she's elderly. And I says, you know, please go take care of, you know, Mrs. Ramsey's, you know, driveway. Cause sometimes she gets, she'll leave in the evening for places to go and we just want to make sure she's okay. So that, that, that part of, um, 
you know, instilling some value in your job is, is, has already begun. And, and, and they pay attention to that stuff. They, yeah. um, they really do. Cause they're, they're both very much, you know, my two older ones, you know, cause the 16 month old can't cut grass yet, but they both will go out. They'll help me um, rototiller the garden, cut the grass, weed whack the grass, you know, and um, they're just willing to do it. So, but that's something that was instilled in me growing up as well. So I try to keep that, that close knit family value. I love that. We'll call it the number two, the number two thing, because obviously the number one thing I, I instill in them is, you know, the belief in God, you know, and, you know, and, you know, faith in Jesus and everything like that. That's the ultimate number one thing. But the fam, the family is, you know, definitely um, number one. And, you know, when we all went to Tennessee a couple of years ago, that they still talk about it. They, they just had so much fun being around everybody. Mm. And I think that's just something that, that I found very much um, of value with Christine and her family because they shared the same type of lifestyle that I grew up with, although in different areas. But that family very, value was very, very important. So that's something that we both really, really strive to keep to keep going. Mm, I love that. It's such a good reminder to me about instilling that into my kids because we really truly are so blessed to come from the families that we come from and to have that that tight knit importance where we're prioritizing that over and over again. But I love what you're doing with your boys and just teaching them that connection that they have with the community and caring for each other. Now, how old are your three boys and what are their names? So my oldest Bryce, he's 10. And Noah is seven and Logan is 16 months. Wow. <laughs> so that's something we have in common. You have a 16 month old and then I've got Whitman who's 20 months. So what's that like right. in your house? Is it a little, a little wild at this point or? It's organized chaos. <laughs> but I, I sometimes sit back and I, I will watch Bryce and Noah uh, interact with Logan. And I've, we never taught them like how to really care for a baby but it's an instinct that we're all born with because when he was born i mean they instantly had this way of caring for their little brother and taking care of him i mean they both would like beg to take turns to feed Aww. him when he was a baby <laughs> and it was like such the coolest thing i'm like you just you don't teach those mm. things and um you know they last night um you know, Christine went out on a girls' night out, and uh, the three of them were just sitting in the kitchen, acting like a bunch of little boys. And Logan is just laughing at them because they're being as silly as can be. But that that bond is just—it's so cool to watch. I just sat back and I'm sitting on the stairs just watching this, and and it, it was so great, you know. And you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It could be a headache at times, but at the end of the day, when they're sleeping at night, you just you go, wow, I can't believe this is my life. And it's great. Wow. I love that. Yeah. To be the dad of three sons. Is that something you ever saw for yourself in your earlier years? Did you ever see that happening? Well, um, my dad had three sons and his dad had three sons. So I figured it's probably going to happen. That's a trip. And then Christine's <laughs> dad is one of three sons too. So right. <laughs> me and Christine are the anomalies in the family. <laughs> those rare girls who slide through <laughs> right you you christine and april that's right <laughs> yeah. so did you happen to catch the steelers game yesterday i did watch some of the steelers game yesterday and um 
I didn't watch the very end of it, so I missed all of the um, uh, the the fighting. I guess that happened. Um, I don't get too um, caught up in games anymore like I used to. Um, I used to be very faithful about Sundays watching the game all the time. Now it's like I got more important things to do, like hang out with my kids, go bike riding, go outside. But um, because it was Thursday night football, I did I did watch some of it, and then I watched the highlights this morning and. What a train wreck! It just makes me not want to watch football. <laughs> it just makes me not want to watch football that much anymore. Um, you know, when you have professionals who are making millions of dollars and ripping helmets off of people and hitting them in the head, and I do that in the in the in the, in the normal community of work, I go to jail probably for a very long time. And these guys just get a suspension and a slap on the wrist. It's just you know, it's it's not a good good environment for young football players or fans to watch you know there's some sort of degree of professionalism that has definitely gone to the wayside of professional sports today so i agree but yeah it was a pretty it bad was, game i was, was able to catch game. just a little bit of it because i was at a restaurant and but just i i missed the fighting at the end but just the playing itself was kind of a train wreck it was just all over the place and very messy and very disappointing. It was. And the Browns, the it, Cleveland it Browns uniforms are just really unattractive. I mean, <laughs> who is designing their uniforms? Yeah. Then I'm not impressed. <laughs> no. Okay. So you grew up on a farm with your mom and dad next to your grandparents and, and all these family values and everything. Who are you like closest to growing up, your mom or your dad? It sounds like you were really close to your, your grandpa. But between your mom and dad, I was really close to my grandpa. Okay. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were all very close to my parents. Um, yeah, I think as a guy though, I was a little more close to my dad as like I got into my teenage years because you know you kind of cross that threshold from kind of being like a young child into being a young man. So there was more personal things that I could talk to my dad about. Um, you know, but I always, you know, my mom will even tell me today, like you know, even when I was younger, I, I always talked to her about everything. So, um, and there was times where I preferred to stay at home on a Friday night and hang out with my parents and go out with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know. So are you middle son or first son? I am the third. You're the, you're the baby. I'm the, okay. I'm the baby, the most important child ever. <laughs> I think that's how babies feel, <laughs> the babies of the family. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. What was it like being the baby of the family? Um, I got roughed up by my brothers. <laughs> I defend for myself, I think, sometimes. If you wanted to choose the Saturday still, morning cartoon, it, you had to, like, fight for the remote the remote control. Well, I was, always, I was always the first one up, so there was no fight to that. You know? So, <laughs> um, it's even same true today. My brother, my oldest brother is, he'll be 45. My older brother's going to be 41, and I'm going to be 40. And we still have like a bunch of teenagers when we're around my mother. She just goes crazy. <laughs> it's funny though, but um, no, um, we all had a great time. I was probably closer to my brother, Greg. He's the middle one just because we were closer in age. You know, Brian was already, you know, through high school, you know, and you know, that that's very un- understanding. You know, you, you get older, you're hanging out with your older friends, but you know, as we, all, as we got older, he was always, you know, very good about being around us. And in fact, we spent a lot of times hanging out with him and his friends a lot. You know, just because that's, you know, that's what we did a lot of times. We'd go to one of his friends out, have a bonfire on a Friday night, you know, just that was it. I mean, that was our fun, you know, and it was very simple. There was no extravagant 
you know, going here, going there. It was, you had a bunch of people over, you got, you know, hot dogs, big bonfire, whatever. And you just had a good night. I love that. I love that. The best things in life are free. Like literally, there's just so many things that that I can think of that, you know, whether you are, you know, considered middle-class or wealthy or just getting by, like everybody pretty much can enjoy a bonfire and some hot dogs. Pretty much within everybody's reach. And I love that. Okay. So we spoke about a month ago and you had just gone through this knee surgery. Um, But something happened when you were, you were going through this like standard medical procedure. And I don't know, did they lose you on the table for a minute or like what happened? Yeah. So I had a, I had a partial knee replacement um, due to um, just being in the military, you know, and, you know, as you get older, everything, kind of just degrades and everything and uh this past summer was pretty difficult i didn't really get to enjoy the summer as much as my kids we the boys and i would always go on bike rides every day when i came home from work they were they were already waiting for me so we'd do a couple miles just go up to the park on the trail go up around their school come back you know and it was just too difficult for me to to ride my bike so i said you know i I really got to do something about this and you know, after x-rays and MRIs, you know, met with the surgeon. He says, well, your, your only option pretty much now is a partial replacement. So I says, well, let's get it done. And um, so, yeah, um, in recovery, the surgery went very well. Um, I had a very good nurse who was basically standing by me the whole time, just talking to me. And in fact, we started talking about our kids. She asked me how I was feeling. You know, I was already able to eat, you know, some snacks, drank some, some apple juice. Um, I was basically just waiting the, for the feeling in my, my legs to come back so physical therapy could come down and um, start getting me to walk. And um, I started to get sick. I told Kelly, I said, listen, I said, I'm not feeling good here, you know. And, and I've had, had in the past where, like, like whether I had a spinal uh, anesthetic or general, I would kind of get nauseated a lot of times. But this, this was a lot different. Um, I had this is a very extreme stomach pain and it actually almost reminded me of when I had appendicitis. And, um, but the next thing I remember, I tell her I'm not feeling good. And then sometime later I'm laying on my back and there's like 30 people around me and I'm wondering what is going on. I had no idea. And, um, I had an oxygen mask on, they pulled a CPR board from under my back and my anesthesiologist looks at me and said, Tim, you're nervous. And, uh, so yeah, I was, um, I guess you could say um, not living for a half a minute to a minute while, you know, I had to have CPR and, you know, compressions and everything done on me until all that came back. Um, so it was very eye opening. Um, ended up having bradycardia arrest due to a uh, bladder spasm, which triggered a vasovagal response in my brain to basically, I guess it just shuts down your um, blood pressure and heart rate. But with me, it was basically like the perfect storm because I was already, I had so much anesthetic and pain medicine in me and I had just taken two Percocet because I was getting ready to go walking with a physical therapist. So she was like, you're going to want these and need them because you know, you just had this major surgery, but they want you moving right away. So, so yeah, that was, that was a very, um, a life eye opening experience. Um, and it kind of, so what was your takeaway with that? I mean, was, when kind of just in the aftermath of that, did you kind of have any, we say eye opening, but any kind of just, wow, you know, where you kind of changed your perspective moving forward or how did it impact you? Well, so I, 
at first I was kind of like, when I remember not like being awake, my first thought was like, well, if that's the way to go, that's the way to go. Cause I don't remember. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that was like my first response, re, you know, reaction after all this. And then I just started thinking, man, life is like very, very precious, you know, which I've always thought of, but you know, in this instance, it's like, you know, wow. I uh, basically trying to look at all the good things in life now and not worry about the things that may cause negativity. You know, I used to, I used to kind of get upset sometimes because, you know, I, I've always wanted like a bigger house, you know, but now I'm like, you know, this house is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm warm in the winter. I'm cool in the summer. We all have beds. We all have food. We're getting things done to kind of like, you know, we're starting to plan on renovating, like updating a bathroom, finishing the basement to make it an extra family room. So <clears throat> So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm just fine where I'm at. There's there's no reason to complain anymore. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I think it's easy in life, you know, especially coming you know, especially living, you know, in the United States, you know, there's this American dream and you know, you see war on TV now of you know, people living the good life or whatever, you know. And unfortunately we really don't get to really see I guess you can say like a lower class of people who 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 were living. Because I think if we would see that more often, we'd realize how really good we have it. You know, um, we're not struggling to find our next meal or, you know, how we're going to pay our bills. You know, some people do, but, you know, in hindsight, you know, I, I don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> you know, I have it pretty darn good, you know, and that, that's one of the things that I've I taken away from this because, you know, by the grace of God, I, I could have been done that day. You know, I don't know. I mean, it just was a freak thing that happened. And, you know, it just happened that like now as my PCP told me the other day, he says, well, you now go on the top pedestal of, you know, having surgeries now because they're going to really watch you from now on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm super glad that you pulled through and everything went well. And yes, I'm sure your three sons and your wife are very happy about that as well. Tell me. Because I don't really know the story about how you and Christine met. How Christine yeah. and I met? So when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2005, I went back to IUP. My plans were to finish my music degree, to be a music teacher. Um, I was a professional trumpet player in the Marine Corps. That was my job. Um, if you ever get a chance to see any Marine Corps bands play, I, I recommend it because you will have a very, very good time, you know, listening to them. They're very professional. Um, and I happened to meet up with one of her friends that she went to school with. Uh, we were both actually going to uh, this group on on campus. It was called the Catholic Student Association, and it was just more of a connection to connect with people in church and stuff like that. And we just start talking and stuff. And at the time her friend had a boyfriend and we would meet like like every Tuesday or Wednesday we'd meet and have lunch together and just out of sheer sarcasm I go so I was like do you have any single friends you know that you know are looking to date somebody you know and she's like yeah I do actually <laughs> so, <laughs> so she ends up calling Christine and she's like hey I talked to my friend Christine and um she's like I'm gonna set you guys up with a date Aww. so I'm like all right so um we ended up meeting I believe it was in November of 
2005, or maybe in December, we met at Chili's in the Pittsburgh Mills Mall, <laughs> which, at that, which at that time, the Pittsburgh Mills Mall was just brand new. It just opened a few months earlier. And um, met there, had dinner, walked around the mall for a while, and um, that, was, that was pretty much it. You know, it was um, kind of like, I guess, set in stone that day. Wow. So you knew right away, this girl is rock solid, and I think I probably want to spend the rest of my life with her. Was it that clear? Yeah, that was, that was pretty much what I took from it. It, it was pretty, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did I she was. feel that I can, way I can too? Say that. Or? I believe so. I'd have to ask her. I mean, she married me, so <laughs> it must have. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. So how long after that did you guys get married? Uh, so we got married July 12th of 2008. So you're looking at about two and a half years we dated. Nice. And um, yeah, we got married in, you know, Emmanuel Braddock. You know, we all miss very much. I had grown to really enjoy going there on Sundays. I would, you know, whenever she wasn't working on a Sunday, I always made a, um, made it a point to come down and at least, you know, attend charge with her, you know, as often as I could, because that was something that's very, both, very much important to both of us. Uh, with our upbringings and everything and yeah so it was um it's been it's been a great ride so far there's nothing for me to absolutely complain about she's probably probably the biggest blessing in my life yeah I can honestly say that and that's not for for brownie points either <laughs> she's such a she's just such a gentle kind warm <clears throat> person um even though there's the age difference between her and I just growing up um we were really close the nature of the relationship was more like you know I was the older cousin and we just played together all the time but just talk about such a gentle kind spirit just she is really angelic yeah. so between your authenticity and your directness and your just this like honorable like part of your personality and then her tenderness like you guys must have a, a really great relationship do you have anything any secrets to like what do you believe is the most important thing that you need to do to have a great marriage uh to have a great marriage well you have to you know unconditionally love each other you know because i'm sure as you understand you you first meet someone you have all those those oh wow you know love feelings and stuff like that and you know, you get married and you're married for a while, you know, you, you get in this routine of work, kids, homework here, there, you know, and, you know, there's, there's this, I think, perspective that, you know, that is always going to last forever, those, those feelings. But, you know, love, love isn't necessarily a feeling, you know, you can't always just have this feeling to love somebody, you know, it's sometimes, you know, you know, loving someone's a choice, you know, like, you may not agree on something, but hey, you know what, I devoted my time to this person. I'm sticking with them regardless of whatever. Um, you know, honesty is obviously the biggest one. Honestly, love. Uh, communicating. I believe communicates probably one of the biggest ones that people may struggle with. Um, you know, so it's, it's always good. And it's something that we always try to do. We try to get our kids to bed early at night so we can at least just spend some time just talking. You know, because, you know, we need, you know, married couples need to like, talk to each other you know and um sometimes that's just a struggle with how how big the boys are during the school week you know she's got this crazy work schedule of you know working 12-hour shifts from 10 a.m to 10 p.m like three or four times a week you know so there's just you know there's just so much going on and you know and as i talked about earlier about getting back to those 
simpler things in life about like you know going outside in nature and just enjoying stuff you know um yeah it really is true you gotta well, make things it, 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 you cut out there for just one second what did you say you gotta make things what oh yeah uh so you just gotta basically keep it simple in a way um you know like you know this six weeks that i've been off for with my knee surgery has been just really great because you know when the boys are at school we're we're actually able to like plan like these projects out in their house and like what we're going to do for the future like you know when do we want to start you know doing the bathroom getting the basement done getting the garage done you know we're actually able to like write things down and like and discuss them and talk and have a plan it feels good actually for both of us because it's like now we're like really on the same page of everything we have this direction of you know how we want things in the house to go and you know then you start talking about like not that it's going to happen very fast but you know bryce is 10 eight short years he graduated high school so there's there's that that's always on my mind i'm 40 technically i have about 26 years left of working until i can retire so i'm already i already have like my retirement plans already set up and hoping that by that time you know i'm set to go i got college savings for my boys you know it's like okay we gotta there's just so many directions you got to go in and, and to keep on top with and everything so being able to sit down with her and being able to you know write these things down talk about is it's very very good for for us you know working i know she's always told me she's like i feel the closest with you whenever we're working on projects together. So that's just something I always try to focus on, like whenever we need to get stuff done, you know, even if it's just, you know, helping her fold laundry or, you know, spring cleaning the garage out, you know, those are the things that she feels that make us a team. Aww. And so I always try to, I always try to hone in on that and remembering that. So, cause you know, as individuals, we, we have our own needs at once, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, that, that, that thought process has to be, you know your nucleus there in the house and how you how you're going to make that family you know continue to uh to grow and you know support and love each yeah, other yeah i love that I'm, I'm the same way as christine like i love to be dig digging into a project together and thinking about the future together makes me feel like i'm on the same page but it sounds like maybe one of her love languages is quality time if you if you look at those five love languages are you familiar with that at all no I can't say I am. I've heard of them, but I, off the top of my head, I don't well, know. It sounds like her are. and I might share that in common. One of the things I wanted to ask you was earlier in the podcast, you had mentioned that you were going to go back to school to become a music teacher, but I don't, I don't think yes. that you did that. Why did you decide not to do that? What happened there? Well, um, so that was completely out of my control. Um, rewinding back to, I think it was my second semester of, school at IUP I got really sick and I ended up having some sort of like infection that went into my salivary gland and after doing some x-rays here I somehow developed this calcium deposit stone where the salivary gland had to be removed so I have this you know wonderful three four inch scar on my neck hmm. so unbeknownst to me you know you have surgery there's nerve damage you know so years later, fast forward to being in the military, I'm playing. I was actually spending a week, every week, actually uh, taking lessons from the principal of the San Diego Symphony Orchestra. And out of my own pocket, I was literally paying him like $100 per lesson. Wow. Because I was that serious about it. 
and he had actually he had also taught at San Diego State University. And he was like, Tim, I really think when you get out of the military, you really need to audition to come in here because you really are doing so well that I really think you're going to do well here at this school. So I was thinking, well, okay, whatever. That's really good because that, that's pretty motivating when you hear that. Um, so obviously that didn't work out. But, you know, as I moved back home, I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to pick up where I left off. And uh, that didn't happen. Um, as the, sem- the first semester that I came back in 2005 went on, I noticed that it became incredibly difficult to sing and to play and i could not figure out why and here i went through i went to back to ent specialist uh ear nose and throat i saw some speech therapist uh what they found was that i had all this nerve damage from the surgery that my soft palate actually was not functioning properly to you know when you play a trumpet or sing or even when you speak you know that soft palate is supposed to close off to avoid any like air going through like your nasal cavity so that was what was happening. And it became to the point where I just couldn't play no more. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I remember, you know, hearing Steve Blass, you know, on Pirates Radio talk about how when he was a pitcher, you know, he was, you know, his last year of pitching, he just didn't have it. It just was not there anymore. So that's pretty much the only way that I can really describe it. It's, you know, one of the, one of those things that you have, and then it's just gone and there's just nothing that you can gain back from wow. it. Wow. So what, what path did you decide to take instead? What did you end up doing? Well, that was the beginning of a very, very rough time in my life. Not only that, but I also was medically retired from the military due to my knee. So that was something that I wasn't really prepared for because I had no control over it. Um, you know, my reenlistment papers were denied based off of you know, my knee surgeon, my, my surgeon at the time said, no, this is not happening. And the reason for that was because I had already spent about five months in Iraq in 2003. And from that time on, I think the unit that I was currently in, that I was in at that time ended up going three different times. And my surgeon's response was, he goes, I cannot allow you to go into deployment and then something happened to your knee. And then all of a sudden you become some sort of casualty because your knee's not a hundred percent. And then it's, you know, my responsibility. So, so that was a point in life that, you know, I was like, well, whatever, I'll get out, go back to school. And then the whole music thing didn't work out. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I'm like, what does it take? Um, so that, that, that started a lot of me being really upset, um, thinking like, man, I've got nothing else that I know that I'm very good at to do for a career. And then I started regretting things like growing up, I never really paid attention to, to how to like, you know, do plumbing or electrical work with my, like my grandpa stuff, like my two older brothers did. The stuff just didn't interest me at the time. You know, now I'm like, man, I wish I would have done that because I had something that I may have known. Um, but even though it was very difficult, I always had a job. Um, you know, I worked in manufacturing for, for nine years. Um, started off in like, you know, shipping and receiving. And then, you know, I just, you know, bid on several different jobs and I got into what they call cabinet assembly, building electronic control systems. And I think I spent probably four and a half years in that position. And those were good union paying jobs. I, I mean, it was a very good wage, very good benefits, uh, pension program, 401k program. And then in 2015, I had this unfortunate event of um, 
herniated a disc in my low back. Wow. And it debilitated me uh, a lot. Um, I was out of work for almost two years. And um, I went through tons of therapy. I had like five different injections in my back for pain. Thankfully, I avoided any type of surgery. Um, so that was all very much played a very big part of, you know, that stuff will start messing with your mind and your, your mindset. I mean, it'll, cause you get to the point, like, you know, when's this going to end, you know, <laughs> when's, when's my break going to happen? And, um, you know, to top it all off, you know, I, I actually made a conscious effort of going back to work, but in a different, you know, I was trying to get a desk job and my doctor was like, he's fine with that because I just couldn't do this heavy lifting. And, you know, you know, the company I work for, I'm back, we're done with you, basically. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so tell me a little bit about through this personal journey, like what has been Tim Snyder's lesson to learn? Like, if you're here on earth to learn one important lesson, all those hardships that you faced kind of like one after the next, it was like, Boom, 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 boom. What was the lesson there for you to learn? What was the takeaway? Well, now I can look back at all that. And one, you know, patience. Um, because everything in life just isn't going to happen instantly. Um, the other thing is, is don't compare yourself to other people. Because I, I spent too much time, you know, comparing myself to others that I knew that were, you know, going through college, going for their master's degree. Some of them got their doctorate's degree. And then I sit back there and loathe myself, me and like, man, what is wrong with me? You know, and um, I mean, I, I did make several attempts to go back to school, but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I just had no drive for it. Um, I'd get like really excited about it. And, 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 you know, a couple of weeks into it, I just was like, yeah, whatever, I'm done. Like my mind just mentally would just shut down and be done. And it was a very consistent way of happening. And it just was it stunk. <laughs> I don't know what other word to use it. Um, and it was, I mean, as I'm, I was embarrassed by it because, you know, I think people who really don't understand, um, you know, like mental health, anxiety, depression, you know, what a deployment in a war zone does to you. You know, I lost my father for, from cancer in 2000. My grandfather died when I was over in Iraq and they refused to let me go home to his funeral. And then, um, 2005, um, medically discharged and then my trumpet life had ended and I go well what is there left to do like <laughs> but there was a lot of good that came out of it though because I look at I look I do look back and like I said before I always had a job so I, I never quit up on anything like you know even though it seemed like I was jumping from 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 this bandwagon to this bandwagon but I think I was just putting my arms in the fire to see like what I could latch on to that was going to be like a suitable, you know, lifestyle for me, you know, my life's work basically. And, um, you know, fortunately now I, you know, I found that a year ago when I got hired at the current bank that I work at and, um, it's been going so well that I, before I went, even went on this, um, small or short-term disability, um, I applied for a promotion and they're still waiting for me to come back. Mm -hmm. they're still holding this job, this promotion. I mean, they still want to fully interview me and make sure that, you know, this is the right fit for them, right fit for me. So obviously somewhere along the lines, I, I had impressed the upper echelon, you know, leadership where I'm working at to 
have them save this time for me and be patient on me. And when I come back so they can, you know, go through the proper channels of, you know, this promotion that I, that I, that I want. So. So when you look back on your early twenties, the honorable discharge from the Marine Corps for your knee issues, losing your ability to play the trumpet and become a teacher, like you had aspired to the loss of your dad to cancer, the loss of your grandpa who you were so close to, um, just all of that. How do you think, how do you see that forming who you are today and being this man who, well, is such a, um, you know, a strong contributor to the place that you're employed at now? Like how did those things shape your character for, for good or bad or whatever? I think the good of it is, and I think anybody who can relate to this, who has gone through some major trials and tribulations, you are, you are able to, to help others that have, who are currently or have gone through the same situation. I still have friends that I was in the Marine Corps with that they've, they've struggled with alcoholism. They've struggled with drugs. And, you know, we talk still, whether it's by text message, phone or Facebook, you know, we, we constantly check in on each other. Um, in a way, it does make you a stronger person. I mean, obviously, it molds you to to be able to handle a lot more than you have ever expected. Um, but, but it also taught me, you know, you know, like I said before, patience is, you know, patience and um, not beating yourself up over things you can't control. Um, just because there's just some things in life you're never going to be able to control. You kind of have to roll the punches, you know. And, um, you know, I remember our pastor talking, had a sermon probably a couple of years ago. And I just remember, you know, he said, if you're going through hell, you just keep on moving. Don't let it stop you. And, um, you know, and obviously for the people who have never gone through something like this, you know, who have never been in the military, never experienced, you know, a family member going through, you know, combat or anything like that. Um, great deal of patience is needed on their end too. Um, Cause like, like the slightest things could be not, meant as a negative thing but the person receiving them it could be that way just because the way your brain gets triggered you know after you know several you know negative events um i would encourage people to to ask questions you know like you know if you know someone who's you know in the military or even like who work in public service like police officers you know medics and firefighters you know ask them like what is it that that causes you know these you know you know this anxiety depression in you but they they somehow they're able to maintain staying in that field like you know there's some sort of duty to service there that is always there and you know i tell people all the time if i could i'd go back i'd still go back and join the marine corps i'd still do it you know even though i still go back and do it you know and and a lot of that comes from you know my grandfather being a part of the greatest generation being in world war ii listening to his stories reading books i've read a couple books now that i've been off and i've actually been doing a lot of research about my grandpa in world war ii um so I, I got a hold of the National Archives. They actually got back to me. They found like 80 pages of um, official Army documents just regarding the unit that my grandpa was in that I'm going to get from them here in 30 days or 60 days, over how long it takes them to process them, because I'm so interested in what his life was like during World War II and what he did, where he was at. Because those things are made very valuable because and I'm sorry if I segue to a different segment here, but that generation, I don't think we're ever going to see again. Mm. Um, you had men, you, you, you not only had men who were 
under the age of 18 who would lie about their age again in the service. Wow. That was that was their call of duty. Not only that, but, you know, you look at the hundreds of thousands of women who were at home who were supporting them in our factories, you know, yeah. building our aircraft tank, all that stuff. I mean, that right there, you know, you talked about what, you know, the um, best image of a marriage is or what makes a really good marriage. That right there, that generation knew exactly how it was meant to be. Yeah. Thousands of miles away, they still supported each other, you know, and, you know, so the, the support factor is a very big thing. You know, it, it may get aggravating at times with people who, you know, who deal with, you know, you know, mental health issues, but, you know, just being patient with them, you know, you know, that, that, that um, encouragement is always, you know, always a good thing um, to, to, to remember for, for, for those people as well. Yeah. Well, I agree with you on the greatest generation. You know, I've heard that the greatest generation probably has more in common with people born 400 years before them than they have with us because the world has just changed so much. So I'm, I'm yeah. the same way. Yeah. I want to remember the stories and understand who my grandparents were because the world has changed so much. It's just, I want to be able to pass those stories on to my kids and hopefully have them pass it on to their kids someday. But so as you went through a lot of this stuff and, and maybe faced different levels of anxiety and depression, just from your experiences, maybe in Iraq and some of those experiencing the loss of loved ones and all that, it seems like like more recently people have become a lot more comfortable just kind of really talking in a matter of fact way about mental health and realizing that mental health is really just, it's just another facet of our bodies and another aspect of being human that we have to deal with. And I think women have become really comfortable with discussing it and supporting each other. Men kind of maybe are coming along as well and becoming a little bit, the taboo, the stigma of discussing it has, has lessened a little bit. Um, you know, for anything that you might have gone through over, over during that time, like what would you say to someone, a man in particular, who might currently be struggling with various aspects of depression or anxiety? Yeah, I would always encourage them not to be ashamed to talk to somebody. It doesn't even have to be a professional mental health counselor. It could be like your best friend. It could be you know, I spent a lot of time talking to my one of the best friends from high school uh, because I have such a very good relationship with him. I'm able to talk to him about anything. He's able to talk to me about anything. And we're able to kind of say it how it is and be like, yeah, OK, you know what? You're right. You know, this is a little ridiculous thinking this way. So, you know, you kind of hold each other accountable. Um, it, you know, Christine's been with this whole journey with me, and, and she's probably the biggest blessing that ever happened to me. Um you know, because she was just so very kind and patient with me. And um, she saw like, just how as a guy or as, as a man, you know, I, I had this expectation of myself, you know, being head of the household that, you know, I expected myself, to, you know, at a certain level of, you know, career wise, you know, money wise sometimes. And she was always back there to ring me back. Like, we're fine. We are fine. You know? And so there's like that silver lining there, you know, and, um, yeah, just don't be afraid to go talk to people because it doesn't make you less of a man. It actually makes you a better man, you know, when you're able to to open up. You know, I'm, I'm an open book at this point. I'll talk to anybody about anything. It, it doesn't matter if I don't even know you, you know. Um, <laughs> well, there's a lot of strength in that vulnerability. I think that's one thing our generation is learning is like, 
you know, I think men were afraid to be weak. And as, as a Marine, I guess you can kind of relate to that. Like, yeah, you know, weakness is pain, leaving your body. Like, you know, you know, you don't want to ever be weak, but vulnerability and being willing to just be an open book has this strength to it. That's able to help other people to be stronger too. So I just love that our generation is kind of taking that because there, there's other generations who could have benefited from that, I think. Right. Yeah. I know, um, you know, when nine 11 happened, I know that the VA hospital saw an influx of veterans coming in from world war two, Korea, even like Vietnam, because it triggered, it just triggered those memories. I mean, it brought them back to the oh. surface of things that they, yeah. you know, so, you know, here you're talking about 90, 70, 89 year old men coming back to the VA, like, 50 years after their service, you know, and needing help, you know, so, you know, and, you know, some of the guys that, you know, currently serving, you know, I, I've seen where things really don't bother people, but it could be years down the road, something triggers it, you know, so you just never know when that's, you know, that when that time's going to happen, you know, yeah. if it does. Right, know. right. Well, so looking back on, you know, your journey so far, you're still a young man. I think you said you're about to turn 40 or you are 40. I'll be turning 40 in February. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to celebrate when we're uh, in just, Gatlinburg this summer. <laughs> just, just like the majority of our family has February birthdays. There's a lot. My mom's a February baby. So. Your mom, I think uh, Uncle Tom, um, Kathy's mom, um, Margie, me, Stephanie, our cousin, uh, sister-in-law Stephanie, um, Josh's wife. Wow. Okay. And then on, on my side of the family... I think like like Noah was born on the fifth, and then I have two cousins on the seventh, the ninth, the eleventh, <laughs> me the thirteenth. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we got the whole month taken down. That's so funny. You know? I guess uh... we're, just, we're, we're just missing a leap year. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, we've got a lot of February uh, babies on it, within Todd's family too. So really busy month for <laughs> us. <laughs> oh yeah. So on a lighter note here, as we're getting close to wrapping up. Um, What's your favorite Netflix series? I know you probably don't have a lot of time to watch TV with three kiddos, but off the top of your head, really quick, what Netflix series has just like rocked your world? You're like, that was a great show. Well, I actually don't watch Netflix, but I do watch uh, History Channel, Military Channel, the Smithsonian Channel. So anything dealing with military history or um, like I wa- I like watching Aerial America. Um, I like watching... Um, Ken Burns, um, he does. The, oh, the, I love the, Ken the, Burns. Every single one of his, from the Civil War to baseball, the Roosevelt's, uh, he just did one with the National Parks. And then recently, he just came out with an eight-part series about country music. I haven't watched that yet, but I really want to. I just think he's so phenomenal. His Civil War he series is- was, in, was the first thing I was introduced to. And that song, Ashikan Farewell, that's yes. played throughout that is just one of the yes. most heart-wrenching, beautiful string it grabs pieces. You. Oh, it's beautiful. It grabs your heartstrings. It does. Um, yeah, when you when you when you watch uh, if you get a chance to watch Ken Burns um, country music, um, ha- have the Kleenex box by. He he really oh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> some oh, of the wow. things that these singers have gone through, um, wow, you know, so I'll admit to it. The the very last um, I think series number 8 I, I won't be ashamed to say this, but it, it got me teared up. Oh, I love it really that. Did. I love when dudes really cry. Did. I really so, love that. <laughs> yeah. Cause okay. I'm not going to spoil it, but there, there's, there's just one part of it that 
um, this guy just honors his grandparents. He oh. honors the love that they had. Oh, yeah. I love country yeah. music because the lyrics are just so yeah. personal and down to earth and wonderful. Okay, so yep. you live in Pittsburgh. Kennywood Park is there. What's your favorite ride at Kennywood Park? I would have to go with um, I'm have to go with the Thunderbolt. I think that was probably the first <laughs> big roller coaster I rode there. Um, because when when I was a kid, they still had the laser loop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, same here. Ben. The laser loop was still there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so now you know I'm not gonna. I probably won't ride roller coasters anymore just because of you know my back and my knee, but. I know my uh, my seven year old. He's a he's a coaster fanatic. He's already ridden the um, Jack Rabbit racers. Uh, I'm sure next year he'll be good memories. He'll be a little more brave to try it. Yeah, absolutely. Good memories. I'm gonna have to get my kids up to that park. It's just good to hear you say the names of these coasters. So many great memories. So, and then oh, yeah. lastly, on a light note, who's your favorite comedian? Oh, my favorite comedian. I'm going to have to go with the guys from Blue Collared Comedy Tour. <laughs> the Ron White, Larry the Cable Guy, Bill Engel, and um, Jeff Foxworthy. Oh, my gosh. Your, your uh, Blue Collar Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania so roots are really shining right now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're talking from a guy whose grandfather literally had Cool It Bulls for cereal, <laughs> salad, soup, everything. <laughs> my grandmother did as well she really did save all that yeah. stuff <laughs> when my grandfather died we were in his attic and we were finding all of this um picnic supply stuff like all these plastic forks and paper plates and we're like you kept this and he's like yeah i washed it all <laughs> <laughs> that's a product of the depression era they saved everything but you know tim i just really appreciate your time today i, I appreciate your openness you've been great and i thank you for your service in the marine corps and um just thanks for your time today and when you get that sauerkraut done you know what do i got to do to get a jar of it oh i'll have you on the I'll have you on the mailing list. <laughs> I need an auto ship. Free you gotta set up an auto ship option. <laughs> I know, right? Right from the right from the the, the assembly line down to your house. <laughs> it was so great to just dig a little bit deeper in with you today. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for coming on the Relate podcast. You're my first cousin in law who's ever come on. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Jess. Thank you much. Have a great one. Have a great day. You too. Bye.